Welcome to The Greek Current, a podcast by Halk and Kathy Marini. I'm your host, Thanos Davelis. A humanitarian crisis is unfolding in the Caucasus as Azerbaijan is blockading the Lachian Corridor, the main road in Nagorno-Karabakh, or Artsakh. Azerbaijan's blockade, which has been ongoing since December 12th, has deprived some 120,000 Armenians in Artsakh of food, medicine, and other vital supplies, and the Armenian Foreign Ministry has accused Azerbaijan of ethnic cleansing. Aram Hamparian, the executive director of the Armenian National Committee, joins me to discuss Azerbaijan's blockade of Nagorno-Karabakh and the humanitarian crisis unfolding, and look at what steps the U.S. should take to support the people of Nagorno-Karabakh and hold Baku accountable. Aram, great to have you back on The Greek Current, and Happy New Year. Good to be here. Happy New Year. Aram, for the last 24 days, going on 25 now, Azerbaijan has enacted a blockade against Artsakh, or Nagorno-Karabakh. Just how dire is the situation for the people living there? It's extremely dire. Extremely dire. Basically, Nagorno-Karabakh has one lifeline to the world, one lifeline, one road to Armenia. On that road, every day, travels roughly 400 tons of food and other daily necessities of life. For the past 24 days, there's been zero traffic, zero transportation between Armenia and Artsakh. That means Artsakh is basically running out of food, running out of medicine, running out of all the necessities of life. They're getting to the point where there will simply be no food left. This is the winter. This is not the growing season. People are tapping all their reserves. And electricity was cut off yesterday for about 10 days or so. Heat was cut off in, in this bitter cold winter. So Azerbaijan has you know, really, really done its absolute best to, to make life so difficult for the people of Artsakh that they'll leave. That's their goal. So then are we essentially watching what could be described as a war crime unfold before our eyes in real time? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, this stretches back to the, the genocidal intent that, frankly, Turkey and, and now it's allied Azerbaijan has had toward the Armenian presence in the Armenian part of the world for more than a century now. The goal in 1918 was to kill the Armenians, to, to murder them, to march them to their deaths, and then to exile the survivors. The Armenian Republic survived. Uh, the last indigenous part of the Armenian homeland is Armenia and Artsakh. They attacked Artsakh in 2020. It was 120,000 brave souls who are still living there. And now what Azerbaijan is doing ultimately is trying to make life impossible for them. And that's literally one of the definitions of genocide. The Armenian National Committee, Aram, has called on the United States to step up and take strong action in order to break Azerbaijan's blockade. Why do you think U.S. leadership, especially when dealing with Baku, has been lacking? You know, it's a, it's a very good question. Our asks are, are pretty straightforward. Number one is what Azerbaijan is doing is an atrocity. We shouldn't be arming. We shouldn't be aiding that country. Stop military aid. To Azerbaijan, it's a very simple ask. Number two is to provide humanitarian aid to the people of Artsakh. They're in desperate need of food. An airlift is a very viable option. Flights can be flown into the airport in Stepanakert, the capital of Artsakh. And that could be US-led, it could be UN-led, it could be support for an Armenian airlift. There's a whole range of options in terms of airlifting materials. Another thing that USAID could do is to say, okay, Azerbaijan is enforcing this blockade, and that's made life very, very difficult for people in Artsakh. We don't know how long this blockade is going to last, but what we're going to do is we're going to pre-position relief supplies right at the Armenian border so that the moment that this blockade is lifted, the moment Azerbaijan lifts this blockade, food, canned goods, rice, wheat, uh, medicines can be transported into Artsakh basically to nourish a population that's been without any source of food now for, for almost a month. Aram, given everything that we've seen, you know, since Russia's invasion of Ukraine, why do you think that Azerbaijan today feels that it can get away with what it's doing? Well, I think that they look at 
their relationships with the US, with the Europeans, with the Russians, the Turks, whoever else, even the Iranians, in a very transactional way. And, and their point is something like, we want to ethnically cleanse the Armenians, and here's what we're going to offer in exchange for your standing on the sidelines. And it might be, you know, energy, a small percentage of Europe's energy that Azerbaijan could supply. It could be policy with related to Iran and the containment of Iran. It might have to do with the Ukraine-Russia war. But whatever it is, it's a horse trading, basically where they offer things and offer in the form of sort of geopolitical commodities or energy. And in return, they buy the silence of these various countries on the ethnic cleansing of Armenians. I think it's it's something like that. It's a transactional thing where, the uh, as they say, you know, Azadi oil is uh, apparently more valuable than Armenian blood. Aram, President Zelensky was recently in Washington, D.C., where he delivered a historic address before a joint session of Congress. Is it fair to say that what's happening in Ukraine is no different to what is currently taking place against Armenians in Nagorno-Karabakh? The big difference, ultimately, is that the world stood up and took a moral stand on Ukraine and did exactly the opposite on Artsakh. So if you were to swap out the words, uh, you know, uh, uh, Russia and Azerbaijan and Ukraine and Artsakh, you know, you'd see that there's one standard that applies to Ukraine, which is moral outrage and serious sanctions. And there's another standard that applies to Artsakh, which is something like indifference and even, frankly, active encouragement of Azerbaijan. Let's remember that Azerbaijan is not being sanctioned, far from it. Azerbaijan is being subsidized. It's military, the very army that is conducting these blockades and these acts of aggression, the murder very frequently of Armenians along the border, that army is being funded by American tax dollars. So it's really just the opposite. And it's really, as an American of Armenian heritage, extremely painful to hear the the very, very heated rhetoric on one issue, and then we see absolutely no action on the other. So this is, there's a lot of hypocrisy here, as they say about the State Department, if they didn't have double standards, they wouldn't have any standards at all. Aside from sending a message to Azerbaijan, is this also an opportunity for the Biden administration to send a strong message to Moscow vis-a-vis Baku in standing up to Azerbaijan that acts of aggression and the violation of basic human rights won't be tolerated? Yeah, it's a good opportunity to do that. Unfortunately, if the Ukraine-Russia thing were viewed simply in isolation, in a vacuum, the message would be something like America stands up for sovereignty, America stands up for human rights, America stands up against aggression. But when you juxtaposing against what's happening, what the Azerbaijanis are doing to Armenia and Artsakh, you see that that morality is very selective. And, you know, that's just how nations operate. Our job as a community is to draw, frankly, that hypocrisy out into the open under the bright light of day where politicians and policymakers need to kind of justify this double standard in a public setting. Typically, these decisions that are taken are taken in the shadows behind closed doors. And that's where Azerbaijan is able, as I said, to strike these deals and and make these transactions. We'd like to see that drawn out in the open, to have open votes, for example, of the full house, open votes of the Senate, hearings where, you know, diplomats can be questioned and and we can do really dig deep and and grill these policymakers on, on exactly how they justify U.S. silence in the face of so blatant Azerbaijani aggression. Aram, besides pushing back at Azerbaijan at the highest levels with sanctions and with ending what's effectively, as you described, the subsidization of Azerbaijan, the U.S. has had a proud history of being among the first countries that steps up to support those in need around the world with aid. Is the U.S. doing enough on this front? The sad reality is they're not only not doing enough, they're not doing anything. So we do have a proud history, and I'm very proud. I'm glad my tax dollars can help needy people around the world. And that's the ethic behind our 
assistance programs is needs-based. So if there's a need in Burma or in Yemen or in Gaza or wherever it is in the world, very difficult places, uh, U.S. Uh, cargo planes reach even war zones to provide desperately needed humanitarian support. We provide assistance to countries that are even hostile to the United States because we have a needs-based approach to, to humanitarian assistance with one exception. There's one little asterisk that's accept Nagorno-Karabakh, accept Artsakh. And there's been absolutely almost no assistance. And any assistance that's been provided has been mandated by Congress. So it's, it's the legislators who are requiring this assistance, but left to themselves, left to the State Department, left to USAID, they're not providing any, any assistance at all to Nagorno-Karabakh. There's some demining activity that takes place. The funds are split between Azerbaijan and Artsakh, but no humanitarian aid. And as I mentioned, no prepositioning of assistance for the moment this blockade ends. There's really been a stunning level of indifference, and it's not in accord, not in alignment at all with any of the the values, I think, that, that have long guided our humanitarian assistance around the world. Have there been any statements from Samantha Powers, for example, who's the head of USAID? Yes. Sir. The first was by Ned Price, the State Department spokesperson, who, without calling out Azerbaijan by name, did say that the road itself should be open, which is a good thing, and that the road being closed raised the risk of a humanitarian crisis or catastrophe. Samantha Power echoed that in her own statement, and those were certainly welcome, but I get the sense sometimes that these statements are substitutes for policy. They're not symbols of a policy. They don't necessarily reflect a set of actions to be taken. They're viewed sometimes as, well, let's check the box with a public statement. And then, you know, those statements were made about two weeks ago. And since then, military aid continues to flow to Azerbaijan and no humanitarian assistance is reaching Gaza. Iran, Congress has been deadlocked, still unable, as of this recording, to reach a consensus on a future Speaker of the House of Representatives. Does this raise questions moving forward about Congress's ability to lead on key foreign policy issues like this crisis in Artsakh? Yeah, absolutely. We're watching everything very closely. We were up on the Hill yesterday, Tereza and the rest of our team is up there right now. And uh, it's, you know, it's just the way our communities are, the way our issues are oriented, uh, that the Hellenic community, the Armenian community... Our, the first door we knock on in Washington is, is, is Congress, and they tend to be the most receptive to our concerns and the most sensitive to the views and values that we hold. Over the years, as the balance on foreign policy issues has steadily moved toward the executive branch, we are major champions of uh, the legislature, not only because they, they write the checks, right, they're the, the appropriators, but also they do have the authority to set policy and to conduct oversight of failed policies uh, when, they, when they need to be reviewed. I would say that one, for example, is that Congress granted the president the authority to give aid to Azerbaijan. There's a law against it, but they allow the president to suspend the law or to waive the law. And we would say that an active Congress, an engaged Congress, would look at that authority they gave the president and say, boy, this president and his predecessors have abused it. Let's take that authority back. So we tend to be champions of the legislative branch and look forward to the House, Democrats, Republicans, you know, settling all their issues and getting back to regular order where we can start our discussions with the Appropriations Committee, the Armed Services Committee, and the Foreign Affairs Committee. Aram, it was great speaking with you as always. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. In other news, Greek government sources on Wednesday ruled out a general election before April this year. The Prime Minister remains steadfast to his commitment that elections will be held at the end of his four-year term. He will decide what the appropriate date is after April, sources said after a meeting chaired by Prime Minister Kyriakos Mitsotakis. 
Elections, which are otherwise scheduled for June, will be fought under proportional representation, which means that no party will win an overall majority. A second ballot will follow under a new law passed by Ruling New Democracy, which will give the party finishing first a large number of bonus members in Parliament. Finally, the British Museum has confirmed that it is involved in constructive discussions with Greece over the return of some of the Parthenon marbles. Speculation has been intensifying over recent months that a deal could be struck to return some of the marble sculptures. While the museum's chairman, George Osborne, has been open for some time about his willingness to strike a deal to break the deadlock over the highly contested sculptures, the British Museum has not before now confirmed that discussions were actively underway. Greece has long insisted it wants the marbles back permanently. However, the British Museum's firm position is that any potential agreement would only see items returned on loan. That wraps up today's episode of The Greek Current. Thanks for tuning in. Mm-hmm.